you know, there's a reason that Web3 is here, right? We wouldn't be going to Web3 if Web2 was perfect, right? And so Web3 is not great at everything, but there are some things that are really important that it is good at. Hello and welcome to Dev3, the podcast where I interview builders, developers, coders in Web3. Today I had the luxury of interviewing Joshua, JT Riley. He is an employee over at Superfluid. He's also an often contributor of Huff, the low-level programming language. He's a zero-knowledge developer as well, interested in Cairo. Now, this podcast is a bit different. It was the first one I've done in person together with a developer on two separate mics and stitched together, edited to create a seamless interview experience. You may hear some background noise. That background noise was speakers and other events happening at ETH Mexico. If you like this format, please give some feedback. It's a bit shorter, but much more direct. You'll notice that even just the cadence of responding to one another, it's a bit snappier, a bit more natural because we were together in person. And as much as we all love remote work, there is some magic to being together. So I hope you appreciate this one. If you have any feedback, again, please let me know via Twitter over at twitter.com slash Dawson Botsford. My name is Joshua. Uh, my Twitter handle is at jtriley.eth, or well, underscore eth for the actual Twitter handle. You're here at ETH Mexico, right? You just gave a sweet presentation about something with smart contracts. I walked in just for a part of it to grab my charger. Maybe you can actually mention what you did there, and then we'll go into your work with Huff and whatnot. What that was was, you know, essentially just a like from zero, you know, what are what is a programming language? You know, what is solidity uh, and how do these things kind of tie together? And, you know, what can we do with it? Right. Like very simply, like um, just showing how powerful even three to four lines of code and solidity can be. OK, like the bank account example. I know that that was a, I think it was included in the Ethereum white paper of like a basic accounting system of additions and subtractions. Um, so at Superfluid, you work with streaming tokens, I assume, at some level, because that's what Superfluid specializes in. That's not what you presented here. Right. So Superfluid is a bit more advanced. Um, this was for you know people that are very new to Solidity, whereas you know Superfluid, there's a couple of really interesting things going on here, where obviously we have our Solidity implementation, which is you know extremely technical, but uh, something that you know isn't necessarily uh, you know as known to the public is we're actually creating formal specifications and definitions of what is a transfer what is a stream what is a distribution right as a way to more formalize like what exactly this whole money thing is heck yeah and and what got you towards uh, interested in superfluid what what like red pilled you into crypto i actually had a friend i worked in casinos a few years ago and one of the dealers there actually approached me one day and he said, hey, man, there's this really cool thing called Ethereum. You should check out their white paper, right? And, um, you know, I started to look into it some and I got I really got into the space through hackathons. Uh, that's where I learned about Superfluid. The first contract I ever built was this freelancer marketplace where, um, you know, basically clients could escrow the money and then, you know, send those funds out to, um, you know, out to workers whenever the work was completed. Um, and then I kind of had this idea of, like, well, what if you could, you know, stream this money over time? And then I realized there's a company doing that already, and that was super fluid. I love that when you're going to a hackathon and you're like, I'm going to go build this crazy idea. Uh, like, I bet it'll be difficult. And then all of a sudden, there's a whole company around it already. I used to actually get really beat up about that because I'd get so hyped about an idea in my head that when I found a competitor, then I'd be like, ugh, now I can't go build it. 
I've actually changed that in my head though to now be, I'm excited that someone's working on that solution because it means I actually thought of something that was valuable. Uh, it's so valuable that a company's already building it. Uh, so Superfluid was building that and then uh, you got involved with Superfluid somewhere around February, March of this year, is that right? Uh, last year was when I like first learned about them and I was actually a, a very consistent like community member. So I was building like accounting tools and like very basic, uh, what we call super apps. They're basically just contracts that can uh, do this like atomic settling of stream creation and things like that. Uh, and then I actually started working with Superfluid around March this year. Is there any good alpha you can give us? What's Superfluid up to or what are you here kind of announcing or showing off right now with Superfluid? Yeah, so I think this is a little under the radar right now, um, but we also have this other agreement called the Instant Distribution Agreement. And the idea is that um, instead of looping you know, some arbitrary number of addresses over and over again doing a distribution, with this uh, IDA, what we call an Instant Distribution Agreement, you loop addresses once, and then every subsequent dis distribution is essentially in uh, constant time, right? You don't have to loop over these addresses anymore, right? And so this was something that I learned about, you know, when I was joining and I thought it was really cool. So the alpha here is we're actually uh, creating a way to let you stream like this, where you can update a single stream and that's distributed out to many, many people. And this, is a, this opens up a lot of DeFi options, right? Like uh, real-time liquidity provisions, real-time DEXs and things like that. So very, very excited about that one. I feel like there's a complex system here where there's already a lot of DeFi applications out there that are set up to work with non-streaming tokens. I remember chatting with some of the core team about that at ETH Denver, uh, but that actually opens up a ton of opportunities for folks at hackathons and, and for folks to build with, which is why I'm happy you all are always present at these events. You know, you're plugging into the community uh, for real. And, and I know that's also something you do. You know, you work on Superfluid. You also work on Huff. You also help run a podcast. So do you want to help, uh, you want to name drop your podcast and then maybe we could transition over to some Huff? Yeah. So uh, the name of the podcast is called Devs Do Something. Uh, and it's at DDS underscore HQ on Twitter. Uh, we're very, very new. I think the first episode just released, but you know, we're, we're targeting a, a technical audience and really trying to get into the nitty gritty of these protocols. Yeah, there's such a need for this. You know, that's why I started Dev3 as well. Like, we really do need some content for developers, for folks who are technical, to plug in and understand what's coming out. Not all of us have the luxury and, I guess, privilege to be able to attend in-person hackathons and in-person conferences. Uh, for the folks that can't fly out to ETH Denver to go meet the Superfluid team, uh, like I was able to, there should be an equal opportunity. And maybe bringing that through audio is something, you know, we can help do together. Uh, it's funny that we get to do already as you're one episode in and, you know, I'm five episodes in. It's we're both super fresh to it. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Joining forces. It's like a it's a multiplicative thing. So then let's get into some like lower level programming here. I know you're a frequent contributor with Huff through their GitHub and through some of their online presence. Do you want to tell us more about that? Yeah, so uh, a little bit of background on this. Um, yeah, so I think anybody right now that's you know sort of at this like beginner to intermediate level of solidity, um, you know you, you you know the ropes, right? You know the basics, but you still see those people out there that are just I mean they're they're giga brains we like to call them, right? These guys that you know know the assembly and can break open these blocks and just do I mean wild black magic with these things, right? Um, and so you know really like. What, what's, what's the bridge there? Like, how do we bridge, um, you know, between these people that are able to work with assembly and the people that write, you know, high level solidity, right? Um, and Huff was one of the ways that, that I learned to do this. So what Huff is, is like a very bare bones language. 
recently, uh, a couple of people on Twitter came together and you know basically we like rewrote this compiler and started writing this like standard library for it. I, I like to describe it as uh, sort of a bare metal EVM assembly language. It's about as close to writing actual opcodes as you can get. Right, so you're, you're manually managing the stack, you're managing memory, you're managing storage. I mean, everything is in your hands as a developer. Which is scary for some, right? But for those who are not faint of heart, it's a way to get more gas-optimized code. Uh, are there other things that are a positive takeaway besides gas optimization that you'd maybe say Huff is good at? Yeah, so uh, of course, you know, like this hyper-optimized, you know, contract thing is, is really good, but I think more than anything, it's a great educational resource. Right, because when you see a solidity function, you know what is that? Like, what is that in the bytecode? You just see this long byte string. You don't really know what it is. Whereas in Huff, you have to know. Like, okay, uh, let's push this four-byte selector to the stack. Maybe let's uh, duplicate this, and then you know, if if this is the function that we're calling, you know, execute this code. Right. So there, there's like a lot more control there, and then in that control, you learn what the EVM is, like on the lowest level, and then you also learn. Like these, these incredible abstractions that languages like Solidity and Viper have brought to the ecosystem. Wow. I almost feel like it's a it's like a computer science class, the way that they can show you using usually C or Java, like the the basic operations that are being done by your computer. Uh, for myself, at least in computer science, I learned things like linked lists, things like DAGs and trees and all of these things that I actually don't touch ever anymore. But if I were to be a low-level developer, or if I were to be writing Solidity often, having an understanding of that is super important. You know, like with security of contracts as well, like understanding that level of the stack, uh, I I would think is is critical. How do you feel about that? Do you do you have you seen folks kind of get like armed with this excellent education that then allows them to be more powerful Viper or Solidity devs? Have you seen folks come back out of the the depth of the stack when they need to write like? certain larger production applications? Right, I would say it's great for both developers and, and security um, you know, security researchers alike. So on the development side, because you now understand you know, what's happening on the low levels, you know, you know when you can do certain things, right? Like when, when should I use unchecked arithmetic or when should I use an assembly block? When is it gonna be better for me to do something in Yule, right? In these little, in these little inline assembly blocks and when would it be better to just use the abstractions that we have in front of us. And then on the security side, so um, a, a DAO that I've been contributing to a bit is called uh, Skids DAO. And basically we do these like security reviews, um, you know, bug bounties and things like this. And um, so I've been kind of an advocate for learning Huff there. And it's actually like um, really taught these guys a lot about, you know, how how to reason about some of the strange behavior in the EVM, because that's where a lot of the security issues come from, right? It's like this unexpected behavior in the EVM and seeing what it's doing on the lowest level is a really good way to learn that. Is there any interoperability between Yule, Huff, Solidity, or Viper? Can any of them tag team within a single contract, a compiled contract? So in a contract, uh, right now, the only thing you can do is Yule within a Solidity file, right? So anytime you see an assembly block and then you see, you know, this, um, you know, the, the like parentheses oriented syntax, the, the sort of functional syntax, that's that's all Yule. Um, Huff currently can't be used in line with this and then Viper is, is kind of on its own as well. Um, so you have Solidity and Viper, which are your high levels. Within Solidity, you can write some assembly. Uh, Viper chooses to not allow assembly for the sake of readability and security. And uh, thankfully, you know, for, for now, like Viper is a very, very gas efficient language. So a lot of times you don't really need those gains. 
Um, and then Huff is kind of in its own class altogether. So it was originally designed as like this just extremely optimized uh, contract because that's what Aztec needed at the time, right? Whereas, um, you know, now, like I said, it's, it's a bit of an educational resource and it's also like, um, I mean, if you want to write a contract that's small enough that when you see the compiled output, you, you can reason about what each byte in the bytecode is, like that's, that's about what you get with Huff. Wow. So with that, that superpower of having a really tiny compiled output, um, you know, I had a chat with Patrick Collins, as I mentioned, just last week on this podcast, where he had mentioned this idea that what if there was a vampire attack on every DeFi protocol that was the exact same smart contract, but written in a low-level language like Yule, such that folks could do the exact same operations in maybe 50% of the gas? Have you ever considered that? What would you think would happen? Um, I don't know if you were around during the sushi swap fork back in 2021, but they just took the Uniswap code, added a token to it, and that at the time was enough to bring a community over to sushi. What if someone were to do that uh, with, let's say, Uniswap yet again? Someone were to take Uniswap v3 code, and they were a really advanced, low-level developer. They did it in Huff, or they did it with Yule. Could you ever imagine that happening, or do you think Patrick's just kind of crazy? <laughs> I think it's it's definitely a possibility, uh, but I will say that you know Huff is not uh, it's not just this magic uh, silver bullet of you know okay well everything is just objectively better now right like um, something that you know one of the other contributors like calls himself is a is a foot gunsmith right because it's it's very easy to shoot yourself in the foot it's very easy to miss little things right and I mean even even some of those popular protocols out there have ended up you know having security issues that had to be patched or you know maybe a bug bounty found them or in you know worst cases uh, you know there were exploits so. I mean, it doesn't come without that risk, right? So that that's something that users would have to understand that you know this is this is a, a it's the same protocol, right? It does the same thing from a high level, but it's very different internally. So I, I think that would you know, maybe deter some of the security-minded folks a little bit. Uh, but I, I could see something like that happening for now, while we have this you know, sort of like very low ceiling for how much gas we can use, right? Because gas is very expensive. But on, on things like layer twos, right? Like a lot of times. You know, Solidity and Viper are more than sufficient. Okay, so it seems like the use case there is is already that maybe something like Yule or something like Huff is going to be mainnet only suggested, but also not massive mainnet applications because of how difficult the coding would be. Uh, I know you have some experience with Cairo and some ZK languages as well. Uh, to me, this is a greenfield. Like I, I have such little education in this area. I'd love to understand from you uh, as maybe even a suggestion to folks who have heard and are interested, but don't even know what this means. Uh, could you tell us some about these ZK languages? I consider these ZK circuits as a new programming paradigm, right? So with smart contracts, you know, like Solidity, you're writing code to be executed on-chain, right? So these execution clients, they execute it and they validate that, you know, this, this output, you know, this, this input leads to this output and we know exactly what's happening by running this on-chain. The problem is like, this is really hard to scale. Because when you need to sync a node, you're especially one of these like full like archival nodes, right? You have to, you know, replicate these transactions and run through each one, and it's very expensive. So what these zk languages do, especially languages like Cairo, is you run the computation off chain, and you submit a proof. And so this proof, uh, in short, it validates, or you, you can validate this proof, um, you know, on a, on a much more uh, time efficient scale, right? So you can not run every transaction yourself, but you can have certainty that this transaction output is valid 
because of the proof. So the reason I say this is a new programming paradigm is because you're not writing instructions to be executed per se, you're writing constraints to be met. So the proof can be anything, but there are specific things that you wanna constrain. Like in the case of an ERC-20 transfer, you wanna constrain that uh, you know, the sender has enough balance that the receiver's balance won't overflow. Um, and then you want to assert that at the end of the transaction, the sender's balance should be decremented by an amount and the receiver should be incremented by that amount, right? So we're, we're writing constraints rather than instructions. Okay, and do you see this constraint-oriented programming to be something difficult? What's it look like on the outside to a developer coming into this? I would say it's difficult. Um, I have have met quite a few devs that are not fans of Cairo. Um, I think part of that too is is you come into it with the mentality of, oh, this is just another programming language. I'm going to write it like everything else. Whereas it is, it requires like a fundamentally different way of you know, thinking about these programs, right? You have to think in terms of constraining rather than computing, right? And in Cairo, you have these little hints where you can even execute arbitrary Python code. Yeah, so would you say that that separation is anything like functional versus object-oriented programming? Um, I, I don't know if it is directly comparable with like functional and object-oriented languages because it is... It is quite different. Um, it's sort of like a you know declarative versus imperative. It's like a, you know like, I like constraint oriented. That's that's a good uh, it's a good descriptor for it. You know because like I said, it, it's very much like oriented towards like these are the parameters in which your proof can be, and if it's not within these parameters or within these constraints, then it's invalid. And if we were to like let's say someone does get hyped on what we're talking about right here, uh, zero knowledge languages and zero knowledge programming, where can we take this to production right away? Yeah, so Starkware's uh, Starknet, you know, it's uh, an Ethereum layer two. Uh, so right now it is, you know, very new. It's very young. Uh, the ecosystem is is absolutely thriving. There's lots of developers, so there's lots of help uh, that can be found with that. Something that that I found that surprisingly not a, not a lot of people have mentioned is a framework called Protostar, and so it kind of aims to be the foundry of. Um, you know, of Cairo, where you can write these programs, you test it in the same language. So it's it's very much you know, oriented in that direction of like write everything in the same language and, and work with it from there. Uh, there's also Only Dust, I believe is the name of the organization. Um, and they created a, a repo on GitHub. It's called Starklings. I mean, you should be able to find this uh, pretty quickly on Google. But uh, Starklings is, you know, basically just a set of Cairo contracts that they have a bug in them and you have to find the bug and make it compile. Okay, got it. Yeah, for anyone interested in that style of programming, Rustlings is a super viral, popular way to do this with Rust. It's super good onboarding. Uh, yeah, it like starts with broken code. Usually it's one line change necessary. And then once you have that done, immediately you get the green check mark if you did it right, or otherwise you get red again. Um, so if, if folks have heard this today and they're like super interested in taking this all more seriously, let's say maybe they're a Web2 developer, but what we've said right here has actually piqued their interest. What's one suggestion you might have for a developer who wants to get involved in Web3 more, who's uh, at this like edge? this edge between web two. Obviously solidity is a good starting point, but I think maybe from a high level here, uh, it's, it's important to understand the fundamentals of, of what we're trying to do with web three, right? Because you can learn any programming language, right? It takes a little bit of documentation, you know, a little bit of experimenting and trying out, right? But there is, you know, there's a reason that web three is here, right? We wouldn't be going to web three if web two was perfect, right? And so. 
Web3 is not great at everything, but there are some things that are really important that it is good at. And those things I think are very important for people coming from, you know, especially like, I mean, I, I come from a Web2, you know, traditional finance kind of background. So um, it's very important to, you know, understand like the these values of, you know, decentralization and really bringing the empowerment to the individual, right? Not just in Western countries, but all over the world, right? This is a this is a global project. So things like that, I think, are important for people to understand. You actually like really have a lot of the same ethics as me about emerging markets and about bringing this to other folks. If that can get you hyped up, then there's like an endless supply of motivation when you realize that uh, this thing can actually help the world, this movement we're all in. And to me, that's just been like limitless motivation to work on Web3 more and more. We should definitely follow up after this and chat about some of the stuff I'm doing with like bundle size optimization and optimizing web pages to load in, in emerging markets because I think we may find some crossover here of a mutual interest. Otherwise, thank you for the time today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Good luck on the podcast. I'm excited to see the next episode. Likewise. If you liked what you heard here, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, I want to highlight someone who left a five-star review recently on the Apple Podcast. This is from Burr 3 The title is Awesome Builder Podcast. Burr wanted to say, this show is an incredible resource for experienced and new builders alike. The episodes are a great way to keep up with the Web3 space, as well as hear from influential developers pushing this technology to the next level. Hey, thanks for the review, Burr. If you want to be featured on the very next episode, Go ahead and leave a review as well.